The gorgeous architecture and intricate stonework hide a century's worth of abuse and horrors in this now-abandoned facility. At the height of its operation, the rooms and halls were filled with vulnerable and abused patients. Now closed, this asylum is supposedly occupied by otherworldly residents and has gained a reputation as one of the most haunted places in America. This week's episode is The Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. In the night, your heart fills with dread Probably a murderer who wants you dead It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse It's hopeless, you're doomed You'd call a priest if you could You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood I tried to watch Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures. What are they called? Yeah. Which one is? Adventures. They're Ghost Adventures. Zach Baggins. Yes. Well, we learned his name is not Zach Baggins like we've been previously calling him. It's Zach Baggins. I think Baggins. Baggins, Baggins is funnier. Because <laughs> isn't Bo Baggins something? Like Bilbo Baggins. Yeah. <laughs> Bilbo Baggins. That's what I think. <laughs> He's a journeyman as well. <laughs> True. Just like Bilbo. Yes. Honestly, I feel and like Frodo. Zach should change it. That would kind of be more on brand. <laughs> it's Zodo. Zach, Frodo, Bilbo, and Zodo <laughs> Baggins. Well, I tried to watch their 72 hour. I did not watch the entire thing. Lockdown in this facility. Mm-hmm. Even the uncut, ver- the uncut version was like seven hours long. The cut yes. version was still an hour long. I thought you were dedicated to this show. I, and you wouldn't. You wouldn't spend seven hours with Zach. Jesus Bagans. Christ! That's a that's a full day at work. Unless they <laughs> want to pay me like uh, thirty bucks an hour. No, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not watching salary. <laughs> but oh, the man. audio yeah, kept glitching out on it, and so I couldn't. I couldn't watch it. But honestly, even if it hadn't been, it was painful. It was painful. We looked it up and it said there's a controversy. So I think <laughs> it that's the problem with a show like a Ghost Adventures where it relies on the dramatics mm. that if you're doing it live, you can't edit out when someone says, hand me the script, yeah. or for instance. throws an EVP recorder and tries to claim a ghost knocked it out of their hand. And yes, it was the clearly the, this person just threw it across the room. They're like, did the ghost flick your wrist and make you like whip it like a Frisbee? <laughs> I did watch... The Paranormal Encounters video? What are they called? Paranormal? Yeah, I think that's, yeah. from are, They're from Des- Destination Channel? Yeah. And that one was a little creepy. That made me so nervous. At first, I couldn't tell what I was looking at, but then they pointed it out, and I was like, oh, that is creepy. And we'll get to what we're talking about that's so creepy, but this week's episode, it's kind of a, a twofer. You've got yes, the real... History of horrors that took place mm-hmm. while the asylum was in business, and then the lost souls that allegedly haunt it now that it's out of business. Thank Christ, yeah. it's out of business. God. Not a moment too soon. Either. <laughs> God, good God! It's uh, it is. This one made me. It honestly made me sad a lot of times. <laughs> It definitely made me sad, and when we get to the specific procedures, I got we probably need to tell warn people yeah. before we start talking about it. I read a lot of descriptive it's, things, it's and a, it made me sad, but also 
like woozy, like very mm-hmm. queasy. Yeah, it made my stomach turn. It was like when I listened to Doctor Death. I have to be yes. like, oh my gosh, oh yikes, yeah, yeah. So we'll give you a heads up in case you got a weak stomach when we get to a certain part. But we're talking about the Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Not a nice name. Nope. Which we and also let's cover. just get that out of the way. We cover <laughs> this in the episode, but of course we do not agree with what this is called. But that was what the asylum was originally called. So, and that's um what I believe it still goes by now. Yes, it's, it seems like the own, current owner is digging yeah, in on this. Yeah, one. it has changed names over the years, but. In the big, it's a it's like a full circle. It started out that way and came back that way. So, if you Google it, that's what's going to come up. So that's what we decided to call it. But it's um, I wanted we wanted to do something that was kind of different than what we've been doing, and we had um, a lot of listener suggestions to do mental institutions and hauntings and things like that. So mm-hmm. I just Googled the worst ones and this was at the top of the list and then we researched it and we're like oh that's That's definitely (laughs) why it's it's at the top of the list yes there's good reason well i'm christy i'm heather and let's get into it sitting on 666 acres in western west virginia is the stately trans allegheny lunatic asylum described on its facebook page as more European castle than American hospital, and an imposing Gothic structure that exemplifies Victorian architecture at its finest. The facility appears quite impressive. However, the horrors that occurred within its walls are the stuff of nightmares. Well, first of all, don't pick 666 acres. That's on, <laughs> that's on the developer. Yeah, I wonder if that, that could have been intentional, but it's also very foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. It is a very... From the outside, it is a very pretty building. I mean, call me uh, cynical, but I look at that building and I'm like, that is haunted. Whatever that was and whatever it is today, it looks like a gothic castle. Yes, it looks like it was. What's the one movie with uh, Tom Hiddleston? Oh, Crimson Peak. I've never seen it. Oh, yeah. Crimson Peak? Crimson Peak. It's a, a spooky movie. That's like about, uh, my twenty-sixth day of the month is what I call the Crimson Peak. <laughs> Used to. You see Tom Hiddleston's butt in it, so oh, I mean okay. that's why I I'm recommend in. it. I'm in. Well, the hospital was first authorized by the Virginia General Assembly in the 1950s and given the name the Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, modeled after the Kirkbride design, a popular method for setting up mental institutions at the time. Construction on the asylum began in 1858. Named after Thomas Story Kirkbride, a psychiatrist from Philadelphia, Kirkbride buildings featured natural light and air circulation to improve the conditions of those suffering from mental illness. The buildings were shaped like bat wings, with various patient wards extending from a central administrative building. This was in an effort to provide individual patient rooms with large windows and for hospitals to house the most excitable patients basically the most violent or dangerous, on the far ends of each wing. Yeah, it's like a building, and then it barely overlaps the next building to where it extends out, so every single room has a window. Yeah. So you don't have any interior. That's great. And Kirkbride was really a pioneer, along with Dorothea uh, Dix, I believe it is, of, like, Mm -hmm. they were some of the few psychiatrists at the time 
that kind of had progressive thoughts about how to treat mental illness. And it wasn't just mm-hmm. lock them away. We're not going to deal with them. They're crazy. It was, no, these are people and we can rehabilitate them. And mm-hmm. one way to do that is by improving the quality of life with their surroundings, which my surroundings are 100% tied to my mental health. So oh, yeah, I totally sure. get it. If my house is like a pigsty, which the majority of the time it is, it really does affect like how I feel about things and everything. Mm-hmm. So I really like the fact that he took that into consideration. Yeah. And definitely natural light has mm-hmm. you vitamin D and puts you in a better mood. Absolutely. The Trans Allegheny Asylum was to house 250 patients, another purposeful design of the Kirkbride plan which placed an emphasis on the importance of each patient having their own room. The walls were built two and a half feet thick to increase patient privacy. Dr. Kirkbride also believed the grounds of mental institutions should be welcoming as well as self-sustainable. The beautiful and lush surrounding grounds included a dairy, a farm, gas well, water system, and a cemetery in an effort to make the asylum self-sufficient, as well as provide patients with a pleasant outdoor space. Under the Kirkbride plan, all physicians and staff were to live on the grounds of the hospital. Patients were to be encouraged to roam the grounds. However, visitors were discouraged, and any type of gift or mail from outsiders was not allowed. Well, if you've got to be at an institution, it's nice yeah. to have nice gardens and things to walk around in. And they had a lot of green space, mm-hmm. and it was it, it, early on. They had 666 was, acres. That's right. They had plenty yes, of space yes. and plenty of sunlight. And it sounds like and it's a private room. On paper, it sounds great. Yes. Upon check-in, Yikes. not so much. Things take a turn. Initially, prison and slave laborers were brought on to build the project. Later, however, skilled stonemasons were brought over from Europe, according to Legends of America. The asylum is actually the largest hand-cut stone masonry building in North America, and only second in the world to the Kremlin. It's a big one. It's a claim to fame. Yeah. 1861 was a tumultuous time in America, with the Civil War beginning in April of that year. Construction on the hospital was temporarily halted, and what had already been finished soon became Camp Tyler, a military post for the Union. The troops used the completed southern wing of the asylum as their barracks and the main area to house their horses. In 1862 and 1863, raids by the Confederate Army temporarily dislodged the Union troops, according to the current website for the asylum. The following year, during another raid, Confederate soldiers ransacked the asylum, taking all the clothes and food that had been intended for the first group of patients. Well, that's a dick move. Mm Mm-hmm. While the hospital had been known up until then as the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, the hospital was renamed the West Virginia Hospital for the Insane, following the admission of West Virginia as a U.S. state in 1863. While many towns experienced a depression after the war, Western Virginia experienced the opposite. When the asylum eventually opened in 1864, the town saw their economy boom. In fact, up until the hospital's closure 150 years later, it was the primary economic resource for the town. I mean, you imagine if, they, especially if they have to live on campus, mm-hmm. all the employees and their families would want to stay close and uh, basically becomes almost like a mining town where mm-hmm. everybody there is in one industry. Yep. And if you've got um, the dairy and and uh, they had a coal mine nearby that helped add uh, provide heat and stuff, there's a lot of working parts like 
they provided a ton of uh ton of jobs for sure. sure and if you have to somebody's got to make all the linens and do all the cleaning and you know mm-hmm. you have a whole mm-hmm. whole town's based on one asylum yeah West Virginia Hospital for the Insane, still not great. We're not really moving up on the ladder of names Slight. here. A little bit of a step up, Maybe a much. little bit, yeah. Not by much. In October of 1864, the asylum saw its first patients. According to hospital logbooks, the very first patient to be admitted was a housewife who was experiencing domestic trouble. Sadly, this very vague reason was often used by husbands to admit their wives sometimes for life, in an effort to be rid of them and start new relationships. With women having very little rights in the 1800s, there was often nothing they could do to prevent this. There's an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer where she's in a mental institution and they're trying to convince her that her whole life, like with fighting vampires, is all imaginary. That's To me, that's the scariest episode of Buffy. The idea that someone tells you that you wake up tomorrow and they go, who's Tommy? Who's mm-hmm. Ella? You're not pregnant. You've always been here. Just a gaslighting is, of epic proportion. Yeah, tricking. And that's exactly what this mm-hmm. was back then. And they would say, oh, Mrs. Jones, you're just, you're hysterical. Yep. And it's like, no, my husband's having me locked up for no reason. They're like, yeah, he set up, you, you have outbursts like this. Yeah. yeah. And you are completely helpless. It's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Completely terrifying that that. Up until <laughs> that's, that's this kind of stuff still goes on. Let's be honest, but it was definitely 100%. it was definitely more prevalent back then. And it's just oh man, it makes that it, this is why not only does it make me sad, but it just makes me angry, and it just makes my stomach turn to like imagine mm-hmm. what these people went through. Other quote illnesses that led to patients being committed to the asylum included. Vicious vices in early life, seduction, egotism, indigestion, menstrual derangement, childbirth, laziness, reading too many novels, masturbation, and desertion of husband, according to Thought Catalog. Again, many of these patients were women who were simply tossed away by their husbands and families after a completely normal change in their life would occur. While the asylum was designed to house 250 patients comfortably, With the rate doctors were admitting those brought to the facility, overcrowding quickly became a problem. With the exception of desertion of husband, I'm guilty of every (laughs) single one on that list. Oh, yeah. I'm uh, I'm getting admitted for sure. Childbirth. Yeah, I don't have childbirth, but. Um, Yeah, but shit, I have have several of these as we speak. I currently (laughs) have indigestion. (laughs) Always. I'm currently... Uh, it, I mean, I hope I don't give birth any second. Um, I'm masturbating right now. Uh, yeah. You're always seducing someone. <laughs> me right now. Yeah. Tommy in a little bit when you get off there. Yeah. I'm egotistical. There's, yeah, I mean, uh, God, it's it's just wild how, what, what do you, she's, she won't get off the couch. She just Lock sits her there. All, yeah. All right. Well, we'll take care of her, sir. She likes to read. Okay. Well, so does Belle from Beauty and the Beast last time I checked. She's a freaking princess. Yes. Yes. Yeah. They didn't want anyone. They don't. You can't be a smart woman. That's too dangerous. No. If you know how to read, that's, then, that's how the uprising <laughs> begins. That, well, and I think it's almost like if you get, if somebody's sassing you, if your kid, your daughter or whatever is pissing you off, you just go to the hospital and go, Doc, mm-hmm. what do you got for me? And they go, well, just tell me a little bit about what they've been doing. And anything, they're like, oh, yeah, we can do it's it. It's like Lock getting a weed card in California. 
<laughs> any possible sometimes i sneeze here yeah, you go it's like I, I have anxiety here here you go i mean uh i'm in total favor of the weed card but it's just like the, all they want is a the smallest thing you can say for that to give it's just like a formality like you take them there knowing we're they're going to be locked up but they're like okay well you got to give us some kind of reason so has she been masturbating a lot lately no but she's been reading a lot of books cool we'll do we'll (laughs) we'll take we'll take her while patients suffering from schizophrenia and ptsd from the war known as shell shock back then were admitted there was also a large number of patients who displayed no signs of mental illness at all. Rather, they were in grave need of proper medical treatment provided by more traditional hospitals. Patients often simply suffered from asthma, epilepsy, rabies, or tuberculosis. Tuberculosis cases became so common, in fact, that an entire building designated for these patients, who were thought to be, quote, crazy and problematic, was built in 1930. This was a free-for-all. Dude, and I don't know a ton about tuberculosis, but I believe I re- it can cause like um, brain deterioration and so mm-hmm. like delusions and stuff like that. So if you weren't properly diagnosed or you mm-hmm. were, but they didn't know enough about it and they're just like, well, this is the disease that makes you go crazy. So we got to bring in there. It's like or you treat them and uh, <laughs> treat their symptoms and help them. Yeah, or any of these things, yeah. you treat the symptoms and yeah. help them. In 1881, construction on the massive asylum was finally finished. In the end, it cost $725,000, more than 300000 over budget. The expansive building was over 1,295 feet long, with two and a half miles of hallways. 32 years later, in 1913, the asylum's name was changed once again to the Weston State Hospital, a much less offensive title. Yeah, let's take out these harmful labels yeah. that you've been putting in the name. Yeah. In the early 20th century, issues began to plague the hospital. Funding was always an issue. Overcrowding continued, and several fires were set by patients, including one that completely destroyed the fourth floor. Additionally, a switch in focus among the doctors occurred, with staff taking more of a maintenance approach to patients' issues, rather than trying to actually rehabilitate them. Well, and I think, too, if you're relying on state funding and say you get so much funds per patient, you are you have an impetus to try to keep as many people as possible. Definitely. And when it's so overcrowded, you, you, you're you meant to house 250. We'll see in a second. We're way past that. It's a... Uh, no, you're just trying to keep your head above water. Staff isn't equipped. Mm-hmm. They don't know what to do. I mean, I watched videos and saw pictures. There were rooms like banquet size rooms with just hospital beds right next to each other, just a few inches mm-hmm. in between. Like, there's no way that everybody's going to get proper care. No, it looks like a wartime triage yes, hospital. Absolutely. Disaster. Yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. The diagnosis rate increased even more over the next several decades. In 1938, the hospital housed 1,661 patients, more than 1,400 more than for which it was built. In 1949, they were up to 1,800 patients. That same year, the Charleston Gazette reported that the hospital suffered from poor lighting, not enough furniture, was dirty, and lacked proper heating. Well, we should give credit to the Charleston Gazette because it's been their century-long crusade against this place. Good for them. And as far as the furniture not having enough and stuff, 
they the uh patients would have to make the furniture and like mm-hmm. sew curtains and things like that because part of them being there was also to learn a trade. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> I mean, you're asking people that are suffering from mental illness to produce a bunch of furniture. If it doesn't get done, can anyone blame them? Like, no, I, yeah. I mean, especially if it's you're in a you see somebody just sets it all on fire yeah. after you spend all this time mm-hmm. making it. Yeah. At its largest capacity in the 1950s, the asylum held 2,600 patients, more than 10 times the amount it should. Conditions for the patients became unhealthy and dangerous. The one-patient rooms were soon jammed full, with four or five patients in each. This resulted in patients being forced to share one bed and having to sleep in shifts to get their turn at some rest. I was trying to imagine this, and I thought, okay, well, like my house has two people living in it. If there were 20 people trying to live here and we have really one, I guess, technically two bedrooms, that's, it's just untenable. No. I mean, it's, there's just people stacked up everywhere. I've got three in this house and uh, it's, <laughs> it's a shit show a lot of the and times. I'll, imagine if you had 30. No, no. I mean, pedal is like having 20 people in yes, this house. True. But I mean, it's, um no, no way. And Sleep is so important for your mental health. And And for healing. Yes. And if you're in a room, first of all, with four other people that could be violent, could be, you know, whatever, Mm -hmm. and no one's getting sleep, you're, it's just, it's a recipe for disaster. It's a ticking time bomb. Yeah. It's the exact opposite of the Kirkbride design. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I never saw anything about him commenting on what happened. No, and no, and I think it was. It's one of those where maybe it's like I wrote this book. If you want to follow it, you can, but I'm not here to like check in on it. I think this much, like we talked about amusement parks, mm-hmm. there was an, a time when things just fell through the cracks where hospital, well, you know, medical boards were like, well, it's not really like a medical hospital, so we don't really know, and there weren't really like psychology board. You know, there wasn't a lot of oversight back then, yeah. so. The state was like, I mean, try not to kill a bunch of people, right. but we're not going to shut you down. So, but by this time, the windows, they, you know, were all filthy. And so you couldn't, the sunlight you were supposed to be getting, mm-hmm. you're not even getting the sunlight and the privacy. Yeah. Whew. Yes. We, uh, Heather mentioned, we talked about amusement parks on my most recent mixed bag. We talk about a uh, class action park, which mm-hmm. is an HBO documentary that is bonkers if you haven't seen it. And, uh. Highly recommend it. If you want to hear us talk about it, then head on over to our Patreon. Well, the overcrowding led to many other problems as well, namely violence. Violent outbursts among patients were not uncommon, with attacks even leading to death on occasion. In one particularly heinous incident, two patients attempted to hang another patient with a noose they had fashioned from bedsheets. When that was unsuccessful in killing him, his attackers bashed his skull in with a metal bed frame. Again, it's just no there's no oversight. And so mm-hmm. when you're attacked once, they don't they can't even stop that. No, like, I mean these people had enough time to fashion a bed to fashion a noose out of bed sheet, then try and hang another patient. That failed. Then they were able to get a metal bed frame and kill him with that. That seems like it would take a while. 
Yeah, more than a few moments yes. that someone hopefully would walk by. Yes, or hear something. and Or, you know, I mean, there should be constant staff in something like this where they're monitoring things like that. Hospital staff would also be attacked while on duty. Female employees reported being raped. When a nurse went missing one evening, fellow co-workers feared the worst. Two months later, their fears were confirmed when her decomposing corpse was found at the bottom of a staircase that was rarely used. Two months of rare use. Two they haven't used it. No. And how does one not smell that? Yeah. If that's how bad, I'm sure the conditions yeah. were. Or your place is just so big and spacious mm-hmm. that, see, that's also, and we'll, that's kind of a theme throughout is it's huge and there's still construction going on and there's these places that aren't used, yet five patients are sharing a room. Mm-hmm. Why do you have unused staircases? Where are they going to? What rooms are you not using that you could yeah. turn into another ward for patients? It sounds like the management was subpar. Yeah. The building's condition had also deteriorated significantly from its once former luxury and glory. According to all that's interesting, the on-site farm and dairy production, which used to be able to provide food for all 250 patients and 71 staff, was suddenly unable to provide sufficient food for the now enormous population. Patients weren't given enough to eat and suffered physical health issues related to malnutrition. Patients were also being severely abused. According to all that's interesting, if a patient was deemed unable to be controlled, they would be locked in cages and hallways or common areas so that more docile patients could have the bedrooms. They're like giant dog cages yeah. that they put people in. I mean, they were treated like animals worse than. Yeah. We're, yeah. Yeah. It's, and can you imagine you have a farm that's meant for a handful of people that's now it's just overrun. Then they start over, you know, if, uh, over milking the cows or over eating the meat. And now the, that's not left. You mm-hmm. know, you've depleted your farm and electrolyte imbalances, nu- nutritional and uh, vitamin imbalances that can definitely contribute to bad behavior. So then you have someone that gets locked in a cage, not for any reason other than they're just not being fed. Mm -hmm. Or getting sleep. Basic Uh human needs to keep any body and brain functioning correctly. But then you've got people that already are suffering and struggling with Mm -hmm. mental illness that are dealing with this. So, yeah, there's I mean, they were completely set up for failure. No one was vulnerable. No, vulnerable people that were then punished for the punishment like for their reaction to the punishment that they yeah. received mm-hmm. it's just a cycle yeah despite all of these problems construction on other areas of the facility continued kitchens dining areas laundry facilities shops a forensics building and even additional storage were all built during this time according to legends of america missing from the construction was the much needed addition of individual patient rooms Again, I think this is a lack of oversight. Uh, you, you if know, you for, have room for additional storage, then you have room to build some more rooms for people. How about instead of a gift shop? Yeah. Yes. You build a room. Yeah. we don't. I don't think we need a gift shop. No. Probably don't need a forensics building. I don't know. I mean, maybe. Although what we're about to see, you do, you, they probably, oh, with the stuff that starts true. happening, they do need a forensics building. Very true. With little to no oversight on patient care, Dr. Walter Freeman was able to move in and use the patients for his own twisted experiments. Known as the father of the lobotomy, Dr. Freeman would lobotomize patients in various states of mental illness, 
with varying results. Sadly, this torturous procedure was not uncommon during this time. According to Legends of America, in 1952, one doctor alone performed 228 lobotomies in West Virginia during a two-week period. Disgustingly, this was referred to as Operation Ice Pick. Those that subscribe to the questionable practice believe that while the procedure would cause permanent damage, ultimately the patient's severe symptoms would be relieved. This was the worst, probably the worst thing I saw while researching this. Photos of the... I can't, I can't, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm just saying... I made a huge mistake. I personally, like, those are things, anything that's of this era that involves very questionable and torturous psychiatry procedures Mm -hmm. just makes me... I have a physical reaction. Like, I, there were pictures of, like... The chairs they would put them in to keep them immobilized just when they were acting out, quote unquote. Where I mean, it's like um, an electric chair where mm-hmm. their head is strapped to a board and everything and they can't move and they have cloth in their mouth so they can't scream or anything like that. It's, per, it's what you would see in a, a, a Chainsaw Massacre. Texas yeah, Chainsaw it looks Massacre. Like a, yeah, horror film yeah. or... When you see, oh, this is uh, war crimes that have been committed mm-hmm. against soldiers. That's yeah. what it looks like. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's awful. And we're about to get into uh, some kind of it's uh, not super stomach turning, but we do we do brush on it a bit. So uh, skip ahead we'll explain, about five minutes explain. if you don't want to hear this part. How to do it? Don't do it at home. Don't know. God no. But a little bit of a description of how it works. Mm-hmm. Freeman utilized a system he called the transorbital lobotomy, which allowed him to perform the procedure without drilling the skull. Without the presence of a neurosurgeon or traditional anesthesia, Freeman would use electrotherapy to induce a drugless anesthesia, basically a seizure, during which he would perform the horrific surgery. Yes, he would electrocute the brain, and so someone would seize, and when they finally, their body stopped moving, but they were still unconscious, that's when... He moved in. Who thinks that's a good idea? At any at any year in the world, why would one it's, think that's how you should go about doing this? Unless you're a twisted psychopath and this is how you get off. It's bizarre because you look at the photos of the nurses and stuff and they're... No, I did not detect... Of course, it's a still photograph. I didn't detect horror, disgust. It's almost like, hmm... Oh, that's happening. And the way he sold it was, mm-hmm. you know, with a regular lobotomy, you got to knock him out with drugs. You got to drill him. You have to have a neurosurgeon who, quote, knows what he's doing. Not so with the transorbital lobotomy. Yeah. He sold it like freaking Billy Mays. Like, I've got the next yeah. thing for you. And the people thought he was this genius. They're like, oh, my gosh, it's so convenient. It's so much faster. It's cheaper. Hey, we already we were already electrocuting people's brains. We already have that material. You sure. know, we have the, the yeah. stuff here. So yeah, the photographs of him doing it, you know, he's kind of focused, but everyone around him is going, Oh, very lovely. Mm-hmm. Well, also, the nurses are all women. We've already yes. established women have no rights back then and are treated as, you know, very uh, submissive and subservient, especially to someone, a man that's a doctor. I imagine mm-hmm. you did not question the doctor. The doctor knows no. everything. And this is a world-renowned doctor who's the father of the lobotomy. And, you know, so, I mean, while they probably were like, 
internally like this is fucked up like they're not gonna say Mm -hmm. anything you know you're not gonna challenge it by any means and some of them may not have thought it was that fucked up like you said true and some of the and i know because they had to live on on site if there is a thing that when you're exposed repeatedly to secondhand Mm -hmm. trauma that you uh, to protect yourself almost you create this like shell around Mm -hmm. yourself so who knows if they're like oh yeah this guy was an asshole he screamed at us all the time yeah get up there and do it i don't care yeah you know you just never know if what they were all going through and of course you're i think you're still culpable if you're literally they're standing there to hold the person down in case they come to while it's happening (sighs) that made my stomach flip yeah Mm -hmm. according to dr gary cordingly a modern doctor who researched the vicious procedures dr freeman would slip a long thin rod up into the patient's eye sockets beneath their eyelids pierce the thin bone leading to the brain then move the instruments back and forth with sweeping motions to destroy the brain's frontal lobes. The patient would then awake from their seizure completely changed, unless they didn't. Several patients died during the procedure. Dr. Freeman would target hospitals like Trans-Allegheny due to their overcrowding and lack of patient monitoring. He would charge $25 per patient, sometimes without obtaining permission from the patient's family, perform multiple procedures, then move along to another overcrowded facility to repeat the process. Yeah, he's. they said he would get the main doctor to call the patient's family and say, hey, there's a guy here for 25 bucks going to fix your family member. You want him to do it? And they say, yeah, okay, do it. Versus, meanwhile, the actual patient's going, please don't stab me in the brain. I don't want also, that to happen to me. the family has no idea what's going to happen. Heartbreaking Mm-mm. that the next time they see their, their loved one, they're a, a completely different person. A vegetable, mm-hmm. a shell of themselves. And it's like, well, I didn't get to say goodbye to that person. Also, you feel guilty that you signed off on that, not knowing anything about it. Yeah. And I, if I'm not mistaken, and if this would be reaching into the the recesses of my mind of, isn't this what happened to Rosemary Kennedy? Mm. The oh, sister? yes. I believe I believe you're right. That she. Yes. That, that they, they don't ever talk about. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And that they, that's why they can't, um, oh, what's his face? Didn't that Ted Kennedy come up with the Special Olympics kind of in yes, her honor yeah, because yes. she was significantly brain damaged yeah. after a lobotomy? Mm-hmm. That Joe Kennedy, who someone tweeted us, that Joe Kennedy, he just was the family curse. He's the one that, that set her up for that. Yeah. Yes. You're right. Well, other patient treatments at the asylum included whippings freezing cold ice baths, insulin coma therapy, electroshock therapy, and being shackled to walls. Unsurprisingly, many patients died to abuse, neglect, suicide, and even homicide as patients were left unsupervised to interact with and sometimes attack one another. Eventually, in 1960, a morgue had to be built to store the rising number of bodies. So now we're in the 60s. This stuff is still going on. Is there still not really regulations with this kind of they were, stuff? I, they were regulated, but it was that was the cutting edge at the time. You know, they mental institutions. That, well, they thought that the lobotomy, and also I think that there wasn't a lot of research because you know for a while the early days of studying mental illness, people thought, oh, you know it's all made up it's all inside your head mm-hmm. oh dr freud oh tell me about your mother or whatever mm-hmm. and it had a, a very 
it was kind of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Where it's kind of brushed off. It's kind of like it's not really. It's fake science. It's not really yeah. real science. Before there was a ton of research into it that says no. Sometimes things are chemical based. Sometimes it's gene based. Um, so back then, I mean, it's unfortunately doing the best they thought they were able to do with yeah. what they had. But I also think it was it was t- built tons out of ignorance, and I I don't I don't I don't think you're allowed to you know, leave people to put people in harm's way, right? Like knowing if you knew somebody was homicidal and leaving another patient in the room with the homicidal patient, then you would be liable for that. But if a patient had never been violent before and a fight breaks out, I mean, you could not know that that was going to happen. You couldn't have predicted. But also the people that work there aren't calling the authorities or ratting anybody out unless you just have somebody show up randomly to mm-hmm. do a walkthrough like if you know somebody's coming it's like with any business you're gonna put on your best face everything's gonna yeah. get cleaned up everything's you know you put the good patients up front the problematic ones out of sight or whatever and mm-hmm. so i imagine a lot of it like no one was really except the charleston gazette who kept who yeah. like you said it was their mission to keep going in there but that's what it was it was like independent newspapers and stuff that were really like blowing mm-hmm. the lid off this it wasn't like the FBI or anything ever got involved, you know? Yeah. And it, you see this with mental institutions, nursing homes, mm. child, uh, you know, homes, group homes with kids that unless you have an outside third party, that's why stuff like CASA and stuff is important where you have volunteers who are almost like big brother, big sister with kids so that they can be told when bad things yeah. are happening or like nursing homes. If you or retirement communities, if you don't have family members that are interested and aware of it, then some of that stuff might not get reported. So back then, I think because there was significant stigma for mental illness that you would you'd say, oh, well, we sent, you know, little sister Ruthie off to the to Weston State, if you know what I mean, wink, wink. And we don't ever talk about it. Yeah. You know, unless you had like Ted Kennedy, who was problematic in his own way. But unless you had a family member who said, no, I love this person. I care about them. And I'm going to go in there and see what's going on. And you become like the mouthy, annoying family member. Mm-hmm. You see these places just run amok. Yeah. To this day. Yeah. To this day sure, that happens. Sure. Yeah. And especially back then, like you said, there is a there's still a stigma associated with mental illness and mental health. Back then it was significant. And yeah, I think people just didn't want to deal with it. You, you Well, you're like, I'm not gonna go up there and visit them. You know, I'm gonna look bad. They're gonna know I have a crazy family yeah. member. It's like, well, your family member is being tortured. And because you're too shitty and embarrassed to go up there and look, no one's reporting it. Or you're too too shitty to just like um, try and get this person help. So you just ship them off almost to like mm-hmm. a boarding school situation where you're like, mm-hmm. I don't want to deal with my shitty teenager. So not yep. that all boarding schools, that's what people do. But a lot of times people just, you know, they ship them off to military school because they're like, yeah. I don't know what to do. I don't have an answer. So let them be somebody else's problem. Hopefully they'll come back fixed. But if you don't check up on them, you have no idea what's going on up there. Yeah. What fixing is happening. Mm-hmm. Side note. When I was a kid, first of all, love Bill and Ted. You go back and watch it. Doesn't always hold There's up. There's a new parts. one out right now. Yes. I really want to see it. I haven't seen it yet. But, you know, the whole thing is his dad's threatening to send him to military mm-hmm, school. Mm-hmm. And like, as a kid, I was so worried about that. And I said that something to my mom once and she was like, we can't afford that. <laughs> Before you said that, I was like, Nancy's going to be like, we can't afford military school. That's too expensive. I'm not sending you to military school. I'll just lock you, you in the shed in the backyard if you cause like, the only way you're going to go to military school is if we go on Maury for out of control teens and they send you and they pay for also, it. Also, I can't imagine that you were the kid that any, if your parents had tried to send you to military school, they would have been like, 
but is it because she's writing Backstreet Boys fan fiction? Like, why? <laughs> what are we trying to get out of her? What are we trying to knock out of did her? Did I here? tell you? Did I tell you I found the plot outline for my Backstreet Boys fan oh, fiction nice. novel? I had no idea. I had to text my friend Marilla, who you've met. She's yes, a listener. I love Marilla. I, she was in the plot of it. Christy, it was a basketball Backstreet Boys crossover. Nice. I'm like burning hot right now, embarrassed talking about it. <laughs> and you're in that Par- cashmere hoodie, too. And I'm in a cashmere sweater. I'm like actually sweating. But yes, I was very obsessed with the comedy Did you call it basketball. Uh shit back straight skitball <laughs> i'm trying to think of what it your bakes basketball boys i'm trying to think of <laughs> how base basket street boys i don't know what yeah it, i like wrote out like psych outs we would use on each where other. was so, their sex uh oh for sure and i lived we all like my favorite part is like there's a we lived in a mansion together in florida because of course that's where the backstreet boys are from but then also somehow we're in our sixth grade class well <laughs> and, you know uh, it's your world. Like, you can do whatever you want in your world. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is, like, really offensive because I was clearly still in sixth grade. It wasn't like this is Heather projected in the future. This is like, yeah, I'm How old I'm were to they? Too old. Too old. It would have been illegal. <laughs> yes. Howie D was, I think he was born in maybe, like, thir- he's, like, probably 15 years older than me. Oh, gosh. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Significantly. going to jail. If that yes, comes true significantly wow but yeah that's what yikes that's that was but that you're right that was the uh, i think you extent. need to um this should be a patreon thing where you post so. post this uh outline on patreon it's so mortifying <laughs> i know somewhere because my mom never throws anything away somewhere the manuscript lives on i um speaking of very embarrassing and mortifying to the point where like i haven't been able to read them because i started to and i was so embarrassed i myself could not read my own diaries from high school (laughs) i i wrote these i'm talking about like i can't even read them because i was like this is too much like i i physically i physically like was dying to read them but i found like four diaries one of them Mm -hmm. is the judy bloom memory book which was like (laughs) this diary but it was all judy bloom themed and some of it's just like what's the biggest secret you know and mine was like my neighbor got a playboy magazine from his dad and it's hidden in some rocks by the by the side of their house it's just like (laughs) like that's to only if that was my biggest problem right now that's I wrote one diary one time and my sister Shannon found it and mocked me about it. So I never wrote anything like secrets or stuff like that because I was always paranoid she was going to find it, which then made me a great lawyer because I'm like, never write anything down oh, with yeah. evidence that can be used against no, you. No, I wish I had known you when I was in middle school and high school because <laughs> writing stuff down 100% got me into trouble. I know for a fact my mom would read my diaries. She... I had no privacy as a kid. I was also an asshole. So, you know, when you're maybe, maybe she, maybe she was within her rights to do it. I don't know. <laughs> There's, Can't blame her. I go back and forth. Like if your kids won't tell you what they're up to, I'm sure that you, that you want to know and you'll, you'll do whatever. But at the same time, maybe that's why your kids don't tell you what you're doing. <laughs> it's because mm-hmm. you feel like you don't have any respect. Just kidding. I love you, mom. <laughs> we love you, Kevin. <laughs> Well, 36 years after the Charleston Gazette first exposed the asylum, they once again revealed just how deplorable the conditions had become. In 1985, 
they reported that court-appointed inspectors had discovered patients were being kept naked and confined to dirty wards with bathrooms smeared with feces. Seven years later in 1992, the newspaper again published a story describing the horrors that were taking place at the hospital. That year also saw patient George Edward Bodie die as a result of a fight with a fellow patient. Another patient, Brian Scott B., died by suicide that year. His body, which went undiscovered for eight days, was badly decomposed by the time staff found him. Yeah, the Charleston Gazette was relentless, and for good reason. Yes. Because every time they went in, 36 years later, it's still shitty. It's arguably shittier. Yes. Also, how does a patient die and no one has is checking on him for over a week? Unacceptable. I mean, or and especially checking on wherever he was, you know, because it says the staff found him. But a he's not in his room because you didn't find him. Or like, maybe where are you he checking? was and they just didn't check. I mean, True. I didn't say, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, either way. But is no one administering meds? Is no mm-hmm. one? I mean, I would hope that at an institution, every um, 20, 30 minutes, I don't know how often, depending on the severity of the patient, like they're being checked up on. Eight days? Nobody, Nobody's seen this guy? That's going to be a case where you see falsified records or something like that, where they say, oh, no, we saw him. We saw him this day. We yeah. saw him this day. And then by the time they find his body, go, yeah, well, we lied about mm-hmm, all those. Mm-hmm. Real Epstein situation. That's what it seems like. Although it was responsible for significant abuse and deaths throughout its years of operation, the asylum wasn't finally shut down until 1994. It remained untouched until August of 2007, when Joe Jordan, a West Virginia businessman, bought the building for $1.5 million. Today, curious onlookers can take guided historic and paranormal tours through the vacant and decaying hallways. Can you imagine, though, it's the 90s and some, you know, it's one thing that they were patient, they were neglecting their patients way back in the 60s or the 1860s. That's bad enough. But the fact that within modern times Mm -hmm. of our lifetime, that you had a person that was so neglected that they weren't found for over a week and that that didn't just immediately shutter the place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at this point, mid 90s, uh, there's got to be some regulations in place. There's a lot more known about mental health and psychiatry and psychology and everything. So, yeah, I mean, it's it really is boggling to think that this lasted for as long as it did. That And despite the many deaths and abusive yeah. practices. Yeah. And like you said, it makes you wonder how much was re- really even being reported. And also, if these are just the ones that were reported that people know about, they they eventually had to build two more cemeteries. They had a total of mm-hmm. three cemeteries because of all the people that were dying. They had to build a morgue in the 60s. So who knows how many people were really dying that weren't getting reported. And you mark it as natural causes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, man, a, a lot, I bet. Yeah. Man. While Jordan's intentions were to preserve and restore the hospital, many rightfully took issue with the fact that the offensive and outdated term lunatic was being kept in the title. There were also controversial titles on the guided tours, such as the Psychopath and the Lobotomy Flashlight Tour. A spokesperson for the facility defended George's decision to keep the name Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, saying that he simply wanted to maintain the hospital's original name. Mental health advocates, however, 
criticized Jordan for exploiting people with mental illness and for glorifying unethical psychiatric practices. A job I wouldn't take would be the spokesperson for the guy who wants to call it a lunatic asylum. No, and have a flashlight lobotomy tour. Trying to explain away the psychopath. It's a funsy name. Yeah. It's like, it's harmful language. And you know exactly, you yeah. know exactly what you're It's doing. right up there with murderabilia and stuff like yes. that. And all those kinds of museums that have like pictures of uh, crime scenes or, you know, mm-hmm. like any any gross stuff like that. What, you mean like Zach Baggins Museum? Yeah, yes. Zach Baggins, Heather. Baggins. Zach Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> <laughs> well, today, guides for the historic tours, who are dressed in appropriate time period clothes, address the controversy of the name at the beginning of the tours. Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum was the name given to the hospital by the Virginia General Assembly when it was established in 1858. When West Virginia assumed control of the asylum in 1863, its name changed to the West Virginia Hospital for the Insane. By the early 1900s, it was known simply as Weston State Hospital. Guides have been known to acknowledge that the latter is more... Politically correct. Well, that's nice that they're not acknowledging that. (laughs) Then just fucking use the name. Just use it. Yeah. You know what you're saying. 100%. And if you've got these tours that are... These bombastic and, you know, trigger words and everything, like uh, the psychopath and whatever. Of course, you're purposefully keeping the name Lunatic Asylum and the one that's the most, like, sensational and, and you know, this creepiest or spookiest or whatever. 100% it's a marketing tactic. And it's like, if it really isn't that big of a deal, let's change it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Over 2,000 people who lost their lives at the asylum are buried in one of the three on-site cemeteries. Many are there because their families wouldn't claim them, due to the stigma that was, and unfortunately still is, associated with mental health. Having sat dormant for the last few decades, the asylum is widely considered one of the most haunted destinations in America. It is believed many spirits still call the asylum home, including children, former employees, and patients, and even those that lost their life in the Civil War. In search of proof, journalists, ghost hunters, and amateur paranormal researchers have snuck in on their own or gone on one of the asylum's offered tours. There are several spirits that are said to roam the halls of the asylum. Those who have visited the building and even former employees have reported several instances that indicate a haunting. Doors slamming shut, the sound of footsteps, or the squeaking of rolling wheels down a hallway. Laughter coming from empty rooms, screams coming from other rooms, balls of light, loud banging, and even EVP, electronic voice phenomenon. According to Thought Catalog, one visitor heard, Get out! On a recording made on the second floor in a ward that had seen both patient suicides as well as a murder by stabbing. I think if you have a place like this where it's a concentrated amount a very negative energy, and especially poor treatment of your fellow person. And especially if someone was in a compromised mental state, whether through their own, the conditions they were suffering or imposed by the increased amount of trauma and torture that was thrust upon them, you're going to have ghosts. Mm, you did I this. Agree. You, yeah, they did this. They, yes, they did. They did. The um, There's been a ton of paranormal teams that have gone in, and not just for a little bit, like 72 hours they just go on like lockdown there i that was the 
the paranormal lockdown crew, they went in, I think, for 72 hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Bilbo Baggins went in for uh, a day or two, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They did uh, Halloween. That was like Halloween night yeah. to the whole next yeah, yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, but, I guess, 24 hours. Yeah. And the the thing is, is it's such a huge place. You almost have to, right? Yeah. So, like, if you really want to go in every single room. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, one spirit is known as Jesse, a young man who was recovering from alcoholism who met his demise due to a pulmonary embolism while taking a bath. Now, if ghost hunters head near his former room, they've been known to have Jesse whispered in their ears. Other researchers have put a flashlight outside his room and asked if they were speaking to Jesse, to which he responds by turning the flashlight on. Apparently, also, if you call out to him in the room, he'll bang on the pipes. I mean, the from the five minutes that I watched of Bilbo Baggins... It, which is now what I just call Zach Bates. That's his name. I like it. It's so much funny. It's so much better. Um, before the audio started glitching and I just couldn't handle it anymore, there were constant noises. Mm-hmm. But because we know of the controversy that Reddit, the Redditors have <laughs> alerted us to of like, it was clearly like a lot of it seemed stage and everything. I wonder with all of those shows. You know, it's easy to have somebody just standing on the other side of the room, banging on stuff or whatever. Even if that isn't going on, though, it's a giant abandoned building. Who knows what animals and shit live in there? That's I'm always like, I wouldn't go in one of these ghosts. One thing, the rats and snakes and God knows what else is in there. That's why I'm not going in one of these things on an overnight haunt Mm -mm. tour. Also, like mold, mildew. I would think jutting out pieces of metal and shards of whatnot. Like I, just, it just seems unsafe. It does. It does. It does. Well, Ruth, a former patient on the violent women's ward, was known to throw objects and shout insults at men during her life. After suffering a debilitating stroke, she was then placed up in Ward Four, an area for those with physical disabilities. Valerie Myers, who runs the Paranormal Tours, told the Indiana Gazette that We still believe she could be hanging out in Ward 4 because a lot of the guys will get groped or slapped on their bottoms or pinched. Get it, Ruth? Yeah, I mean, they and they said, I think uh, Valerie Myers also said she was up there once and her belt loop got pulled on her mm. pants, like, like, get back here or something like that. But they said Ruth had a very feisty spirit in in life and has apparently still continued that feisty spirit and death on the ghost adventures they have a psychic medium on who i texted you and i said this dude invented his own (laughs) homemade spirit box which is what they (laughs) called it which was this box that recorded things and everything but they're in this area too and he immediately says Oh, I feel like I'm not wanted. I've I've just all of a sudden got really nervous and tense. And Zach's like, did you know that the spirit that's here is this woman? And and he's like, no, I didn't know that. But yeah, so I don't know. I I always am leery of these shows just because they're TV shows. True. And and there was controversy. Yeah, and there was (laughs) a controversy. But at the same time, do I think that there is a terrible sad maybe violent energy that's been left behind in this place absolutely the oh, stuff sure. that went on is how could there not be i have a question yeah so ruth has uh, she has a, a distaste for men mm-hmm. would it be worth it 
for her to slap the shit out of Zach Baggins <laughs> if it meant that he could finally, once and for all, prove that ghosts are real and he would get exalted. But we get to see this woman who was tortured just smack the shit out of somebody. Yeah, I think that's a win-win. <laughs> that's what's, what's the negative to it. that? There's yeah, zero take- negative, in my opinion, to that. I think, yeah, he would sign up for that for sure. Oh, would he sign up for it? No, I'm saying we would we would choose that. But oh, I think he would also not. Yeah. He would, he'd be like, yeah, I'll take I it. I mean, in most of his stuff, I will say, because most of the time, one of the things that I don't like about him is how antagonistic he is to spirits. And he's like, True. come at me. If you want something, come fight me. But they did at the beginning of this one. They were very respectful and said, oh, good. We know all this horrible things that happened in here. We're here out of respect. You know, we just want to talk to you. So it was a different tone than they normally take, which that that I will give them credit for. Yeah. The respect for that. Mm-hmm. The team from TV's Paranormal Lockdown visited the asylum and brought their cameras. They purported to capture what they called a creeper that scuttled along the floor of one of the hallways. Described as moving in a snake-like manner, the entity lied crouched behind the crew. Then as soon as it came into focus on the camera, it slowly slunk away. I just got my heart is racing <laughs> thinking about this footage, and I watched it multiple days ago. I watched it a couple times today, and it is creepy. And we'll link it mm-hmm. in the show notes, of course. But... um yeah, the two, I don't watch Paranormal Lockdown, but they seem like um, nice people. Like, they're, I they, didn't, they didn't seem obnoxious or anything. The guy and the girl that I guess are the host, they're just kind of standing there, like, talking about stuff that's going on. And the cameraman all of a sudden is like, oh, my God, guys, hold on, wait. And the girl's like, what? What's going on? And you see him kind of zoom in behind her down this, <laughs> Heather's getting so freaked out, <laughs> down this long, dark hallway behind them. And he's like, oh, oh, um, and so then like it's it's over with the cameraman is literally shaking and he can't even really talk about what he just saw. And they're like, can you play it back for us? So they play it back and it straight up looks like while the guy and the girl hosts are just talking that probably 20 feet behind him down this dark hallway is this body like like if you were just crawling across the floor. Like, like army someone soldier crawl. crawling. Yeah, yep. like soldier crawling across the floor. It just looks like going from one side to the other. Like, and it, lo- it stops and looks at the camera and then like scuttles off. I hate it. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> nah. And they watch it back and they get pretty creeped out too. So, you, you know. Did you think it was legit? I mean, you know me. I know. That's why I wanted you to watch it because you, I'm terrified. And I was like, oh my God, creepers are real. It's one more thing I have to add to. I'm watching the corner of the room to make sure the leprechaun doesn't get me. Now I have to watch, make sure that the creeper creepers. doesn't get me. And I was like, I want Christy to watch it because she'll be like, that's bullshit. And it'll make me, you're like my big sister that is like, to stop being scared. Stop it. I mean, I don't think, I wouldn't say it's bullshit because, you oh, know. Oh man, that was afraid you were going to say that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I don't know enough about it to, to say that. Um, if I had been there and saw that, I would have, one, uh, dumped in my pants and two, ran as fast as I could to get out of there. Absolutely. Credit to the cameraman for not full out. I would have probably just dropped the camera. (laughs) It's so freaky. That's what's so crazy about these things is it is pitch black in there. And it doesn't seem like that to us because they all have night vision and everything. But if you're standing in there. I I I don't even know how he would have 
see that. Well, he had high def cameras because the guy even mm-hmm. says like we can't can't see this stuff because it's so dark. But he has this like high def night vision camera that he's using and everything. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's another reason. Like I'm not going in one of these things if I can't see what's a few feet in front of me. That shit that makes me panic. Yeah, and I mean your eyes will adjust, but. Even so, you're, you can't, you're not going to be able to see. But then your eyes adjust and think you see everything. It's like when you're, if you're freaked out at home and it's really yeah. dark and you're like, it watched a scary movie, you think you see something around every corner or a shadow something. Yeah. If you know that you're in a haunted mini- mental facility, I can't believe, imagine the stuff that, you, you know, the eye, the tricks your eyes are going to play mm-hmm. on you. Yeah. One of the most famous resident spirits is that of Lily a young girl who was born in the asylum. She passed away around age nine and appears to visitors dressed in a white dress. A playful child, she will roll ball towards guests, turn on lights, and laugh with visitors. Though some find it sweet, others are terrified at the sound of her ghostly giggles. Lily may be more playful, as staff members have been kind enough to dedicate an entire room for her on the first floor. They filled with candy and toys to appease the child. It's a trope. But when you see just, like, a kid's bouncy ball come rolling down the hallway, that gets me. That's one of my ghost encounters was the uh, the sound of a bouncing ball at my high school BF's house. The, your boyfriend? Yeah, my high school boyfriend's house. That house was haunted as shit. Was that the one where that guy in the hat was in the doorway? Yes. Yes. That Tommy said his parents were swingers and that was the explanation for it. <laughs> it's like there's He's a like, man I'll tell you what hall. happened. Heather woke up in the middle of the night. Her his parents were swingers. One of them had gone to the bathroom and just stopped to look at the doorway. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, and yes, he dresses in an eighteen hundreds period costume it, and wears they a were fun having hat. A, a costume party. It was <laughs> exactly. a themed party that night. It's a theme. That's why you're not allowed to leave the house after 3 a.m. because the swinger party happens. <laughs> exactly. It had nothing to do with ghosts. Yeah, it had nothing to do with ghosts. They just didn't want y'all seeing the, the shit that they were up to down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the bouncing ball is creepy. Or Giggles. Uh, giggles are creepy. Yeah. I feel like a giggle, a disembodied giggle is almost, it's more creepy because to me it's like the implication of a, they're laughing at a joke that only they know. And you're like, it's the joke that I'm going to die right now. <laughs> yeah. Or they're, yeah, they're laughing at, you don't know what's about to happen to you. No. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. When journalist Marisha Cascino of the Washingtonian Magazine spent a night in the asylum, she witnessed firsthand a spirit turning a flashlight on. She and her ghost hunter partner then offered the spirit, who they believed to be one of the more well-known ghosts named Jim James, a cigarette to turn the flashlight back off. After the offer was made, the light switched off. Later, she and her partner tried inciting the other spirits to turn the flashlight on in various areas of the hospital, but could not replicate the incident. Yeah, she has a good rundown of her. She did one of the overnight tours, and she said, I gave a cigarette, not because I'm a smoker, but they give them to you at the beginning of the tour because some of the patients used it almost like in prison as a trade thing. And so to this day, if you say, oh, I'll trade you a cigarette, even though... I would assume they can't smoke it. I don't really know how the physics of that works. But if you offer them a cigarette that they'll perform, I guess. Hmm, interesting. Whether by genuine paranormal spirits or just its failure to care for the patients in its charge, the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum is most certainly haunted. So what do we think? 
I can't get that creeper out. Are of you my gonna head. Are you gonna do an overnight tour, a lock oh, in would, at the asylum? I would do a tour. I I would want it to be in daylight because I'm a huge baby. Like when I did the Alcatraz tour and I stood in the haunted cell, I like painted because I was like, "There's an oppressive energy in here. I have to get out." I've stood so, in that cell too. There was for sure an oppressive <laughs> energy. I've done the Alcatraz at in the day and at night. Oof, night brave. was night was creep. Well, you're also with a ton of people, and it's well lit. Something mm-hmm. like this, where I, I imagine if you're with a group, it's different than if you're like paranormal investigators with a TV mm-hmm. show and you go in. But yeah, I don't know if I could do it overnight in one of these things. I think too, I would just feel because you're really empathetic and like I think you could just knowing what we know now mm-hmm. about how they treated people, just being in there would just be emotionally and like an energy drain yeah just knowing would. what happened yeah i'd feel a little yucky about it yeah because well, i guess for me i'd be like what am i i'm not if, unless there was a way i could like help them mm-hmm. be like, like move on yeah unless if it's just like i'm doing it to get people to watch or something i would feel like well this is kind of tacky i need to not that ghost shows are tackies they, they serve a p- purpose and everything but i would want to maybe feel like it was helping them somehow. And I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I have curiosity about these things, but I've always thought, I don't think I would last overnight in one of these places. Like I said, again, ghosts are one thing, giant rats crawling around or roaches or bugs or anything like that. Badgers are huge. I mean, bigger things. Can <laughs> badgers? Even, I mean, you don't know. It's the Just forest. badgers <laughs> running around the hallways of this asylum. You don't know. It's a free for all. Although I no, think it it's is, probably yeah. like fairly nice now. I mean, it's owned by someone. But at it's night, not like there's still like it's true. still a huge building. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure that it's kept up, but I feel like you would still there's still stuff going on. I don't know. <laughs> the other day, because y'all know I am straight up terrified of water bugs. And if you don't mm-hmm. know what a water bug is, count your lucky stars. <laughs> They are like it's about as big as a thumb. It's a it's like a giant roach. I think in Florida they call them palmetto bugs. They might call them that other places too. I'm freaking terrified of them. And the other day I was in the kitchen and Ella's in the living room and she's like, "Mommy, there's a bug." And I was like, "Where?" And I go in there and it, there was no bug. And I was like, "What? What did it look like?" It was big and brown. I was like, "Oh my god." I went and got Tommy. He was working. I straight up, I was like, babe, there's a bug. And Ella's just running behind me going, babe, there's a bug. <laughs> You're like, quit your job. This is more important. <laughs> she calls him babe a lot, which is funny because that's all I call him. <laughs> but then he came out and looked for it. It could never be found. I'll tell you right now. It ruined my whole day. This was like at eight in the morning. And I was like, all I can, f- I can't go in the living room for the rest of the day. I don't know if it's, I was like, are you sure? And she's like, yeah. I was like, okay, I believe you. It ruined my whole day just thinking that there could be a bug in this house with me. Yeah, it's the it's seeing a bug is bad, but having seen a bug and not oh, finding it anymore is worse. That's way worse. Yeah, you don't oh. know where it is. No, it has its little disembodied giggles happening off somewhere because it knows <laughs> it's about to get you. I had dreams about flying water bugs the other night, and I woke. I'm I'm telling you, I don't. I saw one the other day and it has since like wrecked me. I'm mean, that's how scared you. I am of, of these things. In the dream, one came flying at me and hit me in the neck and I woke up and jolted up in bed because I felt it hit me. 
And no. like, and I was like, just like grabbing my neck and I was like, oh my God. Like I could like feel it stinging on my neck. No. It was, it was the worst. I told you I've been trapped in a bathroom at a, at Cosmo's bar by one before. That's I got trapped right. in my car in a garage once. Like they are out to get me. Ugh, I, <laughs> they're, uh, they're enemies. And in Texas, they are plentiful. They are, especially during this time of year. Oh God, I hate them so much. Well, let us know if you guys have been on a tour here. I mean, I feel like somebody has. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's open to the public. Or yeah. especially if you have, if you've experienced yes. anything. If you have any pictures, because I watched some videos and pictures. And, well, like, a lot of the stuff has been restored. And it's very pretty to what it originally looked like. I think they've purposely kept a lot of the areas kind of run down looking for the thrill of the tour. You know, mm-hmm. there's like pooled water in some of the rooms and, um, you know, wheelchairs left behind or mm-hmm. paint decaying and stuff to kind of add to the whole spooky vibe. So if you've got any pictures of that kind of stuff, if you have a picture of a creeper, send it to Heather. <gasps> yes. <laughs> don't. <laughs> no, don't send that to her. But no, uh, send, it, send it to the show Gmail and I'll I'll decide if she's can see it or not. <laughs> Yeah, you can filter them out for me. <laughs> but we really do love getting pictures. So many nice people sent pictures of Lady Wonder's grave uh-huh, that they went and visited uh-huh. or the guidestones. Yep. So we, if you've had an experience with something we've covered, we always love to see yep. a, a nice photo Definitely. of it. So please send them along. We love providing Cinder's to her to you at no cost. So if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We're a small operation, creating the show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the cost of making and hosting the show. As a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like ad-free episodes, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those in the Ruling the Airwaves tier, a special shout-out on the show, a monthly bonus mini-sode, and patron-exclusive video and audio content like our weekly mix bags where we share three of our favorite things of the week. You also now have the fun perk of access to our Discord server, where you can connect with other fans in real time and discuss the latest in true crime, share personal ghost stories, or just post adorable pictures of your pets. We'll also be hopping on occasionally and hosting monthly Q&As where you can ask us all your burning questions. Our first Q&A is going to be September 19th, 2 p.m. Central Standard Time. Yes, it will. And we, we've already started getting questions. We have. In, right? We have. Mm-hmm. For our patrons not located in the U.S., you now have the option to pay in pounds or euros, saving you the cost of the conversion fee. Annual memberships for all tiers are also now available. Those that select this option will be rewarded with a free month of membership. For more details on all of this and specific member tiers, visit Sinisterhood.com and click Patreon in the top right corner to join today. And make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. We recently added a new tote bag design and socks featuring our black and white cartoon logo, which uh, is designed by Christine Burchette, and everybody loves. Love it. Uh, if you want to get some cool Sinisterhood swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit Sinisterhood.com and click on Shop in the top right corner. The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. It means so much to us and really helps small podcasts like us get more exposure. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood Christy. I'm on Twitter at Christy or GTFO and on Instagram at Christy and Wallace Heather. 
I'm on Instagram at Heather versus the world and on Twitter at MCK versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shout outs. Alex Gonzalez. Samantha Schutz. Kelly George. Ritzy Ritz. Mary Beth Savage. Kay Crawford. Carrie Christian. Caitlin Siegfried. Vanessa Anderson. Jennifer Gates. Danielle Harms. Eva Maria Steenkamp. Shay. Caitlin Ward. Brianna D. Aaron Bollinger. Cassie Carlson. L. Rachel White. Katie. Adriana. Lisa DePata. Maggie Pittman. Isabella Hardin. Amy Dingman. Caitlin McGovern. Jillian Major. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show. We couldn't do this without you. and We really, really appreciate it. We know it's hard for everyone right now and every little bit helps and we couldn't love you more. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy. Whoa. Sin is-